The Production Expert Podcast with Mike Thornton, Emma Bard and Alan Salabank. Welcome to the Production Expert Podcast. It's December the 2nd, 2019, and it's our second post-production special. I'm Mike Thornton. I'm Alan Salabank. And I'm Emma Butts. So, Alan, what, we got some deals. Yes, we still have some great deals left over from the weekend special offers from Avid Editors Keys, Focusrite, Isotope, Perfect Surround, Sonics, and Synchro Arts on our deals page. Go and have a look at the link in the podcast notes. Indeed, because some of them will finish sooner rather than later. Okay, uh, talking points, and these are sponsored by our friends at Artoria. Hello experts and listeners, Pro Tools Expert Talking Points is brought to you with the support of Arturia. Arturia now have a wide selection of software effects, including three compressors, three filters, three preamps, and three delays you'll actually use. The latest release, three delays you'll actually use, includes delayed tape, 201 Delay Memory Brigade and the unique and experimental Delay Eternity. A bundle of selected effects called the Audio Fuse Creative Suite is included with all Audio Fuse audio interfaces. Follow the link in the podcast article or visit arturia.com to find out more in the effects you'll actually use, a must for any professional studio. Okay, so the first talking point I want us to take a look at is the there's a couple of questions from Jack Goodman, who uh, just reached out to me uh, a little while ago. And uh, there's a couple of things that we're going to look at. So the first one we're going to look at is the whole area about uh, dipped or undipped stems. Uh, <laughs> um, and I suspect this might well open up a can of worms. But uh, Jack asks... Uh, I've seen two different techniques used in many international post houses here in Los Angeles, although usually they use the double ME technique. The first one is to post stems, usually dips, and then route to the master. The second is static. It receives the same DME return as the dipper, in quotes, and sends to the undipped ME print. This question really is about technique. However, is that when dipping the ME dipper aux post sends, your stems, of course, will never equal the full mix. But here in the US, this seems to be a client request. So my question to both of you is, how do you handle dipping stems and whether your stems are dipped or undipped? Who wants to, uh, who wants to jump into this minefield first? I'm totally letting Alan go for this one first. <laughs> Sorry, Alan. Uh, well, that's fine. I mean, um, uh, undipped, dipped versus undipped stems is only applicable generally in factual uh, post-production, so non-scripted. Um, because uh, if you were to deliver undipped stems on scripted slash drama, then uh, they absolutely wouldn't equate um to the final version or the original version as as is known abroad um uh, of that and it would be impossible to make the international versions but however um in uh factual um then it's quite often advantageous to provide what are known as undipped stems so where on the original version uh, say the music and the sound effects or even the production sound the dialogue or the production effects may dip under a voiceover um, when you deliver that to another territory when you're going to be replacing the voiceover because the voiceover may not um, be the same length in a different language and they may also be revoicing the um, original sound as well in that language then if you deliver it pre-dipped, i.e. to the length of the original voiceover language performance, then you put your reversioner in a bit of a hole. Yeah, because you could be chasing your fades up and down if the if the foreign language is is a different length than the original language. 
I mean, I'm always amazed how many more syllables Italian has for the same thing as <laughs> something which is monosyllabic in English. But uh, I understand twice down that as road. long. My my <laughs> yeah. personal experience. I don't have personal experience, but I understand going to German is one of the hardest ones. Yes, yeah. It takes so, a lot, it seems to take a lot longer to say something in German. Uh, yes, and uh, there was a Finnish word actually that I was um, made aware of the week before last, where it's, it's about. It's it's about the length of that Welsh famous Welsh. Van Gilgareth Gorgoch. You mean? Yeah. Um, <laughs> is that actually? Sorry, words? I couldn't resist that one. Yeah, that is a name actually. <laughs> it it? Yeah. Oh my god! It's a Victorian made-up station name, so they could have the longest station name in the in you know around. It's it, the actual name is Van Quinn. That's the 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 original name before the Victorians had. a had a game with it but anyway so we, di we digress yeah, we digress <laughs> but that gives you an example of what you're up against if you had pre-dipped stems um now i'm not a fan of linking together the d and m and e stems um when you're dipping around uh voiceover um because i personally feel that encourages what i call crash dips which are You'll have the DME going at full level, and then they'll suddenly crash down beneath the voiceover, which will not be at the same level as those DME stems. And whilst that is good for your loudness reading, it's terrible for legibility. Um, plus also, it gives you a bit of um, an acoustic threshold shock to your hearing. So while you're constantly... Uh, happy with the level of the full level of the dialogue music and effects then suddenly everything goes down and you have to reset your own hearing threshold basically especially when there's lots of background noise if you're viewing a tv program in an average sort of uh, acoustic setting where it's not silent there might be the washing machine in the background there might be might be your family on their phone what have you yeah you suddenly you can easily lose a big chunk of the voiceover so I always have my D, M and E stems on separate faders, which I then ride individually around the voiceover because that allows you to do a smooth transition in with the, yeah, with the music underneath, but it still allows you to come back in at full level with, say, your dialogue line, which your voiceover line might be queuing up, as it were. Um, and the way I manage this in stereo 5.1 or 7.1 uh, because immersive is another whole world of hurt when it comes to reversioning um, is that I have pre-fade aux sends on my DME bus master aux inputs so basically um, they are always sending that unity level of that thing to a an undipped mix bus and you can have uh, up to 10 different undipped versions. So you can send to, you know, uh, 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 undipped music stem, undipped M&E mix. And then if you have master faders on those uh, buses that you are sending to, you can apply the same dynamic range control and peak level control to everything as you are applying to your deliverable stems and your final mix so it that that, that takes care of um yeah making sure that your stems actually represent your original version as well but the um the whole thing i wouldn't pay too much attention to the actual letter of the delivery requirements they say that when you sum your stems it's got to equate the final mix that is never ever going to happen certainly from a peak level point of view because you have to be sensible and reapply the dynamic range control and the peak level control you've got on your master bus as well anyway the advantage of using um pre-fade aux sense is that it works whether it's mono stereo 5.1 or 7.1 or quad or whichever um flat format you decide to use um and I, I, you know, I found this a lot better than having cascading buses. I mean, on one natural history mix I did recently, they had four sets of cascading buses. And the amount of latency that was just adding was ridiculous. 
and it was the most ridiculously complex session which needed an HDX3 to even open. So um, I think that that's the simplest way around it. Uh, obviously, when you come to scripted, making the M&E and the, and the stems is a, is a separate parcel in itself. Yeah. Uh, so it's a completely different process. But um, that's what I found when having to produce uh, this nature of program in a fast turnaround format. Um, but interestingly enough, I've noticed that people like Netflix and such are starting to apply scripted deliverable uh, standards to factual, which sort of brings this whole sort of fully filled Foley, fully filled room tones and everything like that uh, thing to it, because they're assuming that absolutely everything will be revoiced rather than subtitled. I don't know if you've come across this at all, Emma or Mike. Not yet. I know they have started to do it a little bit um, and they've been really strict with comedy drama, actually, um, which is usually low budget and doesn't always have fully filled M&E tracks. Um, but I, I haven't yeah. seen it come into factual yet. So what's your workflow, Emma, been for the factual uh, content that you that you mix? Oh, I'm uh, me and Alan are going to put heads on this. Unfortunately, <laughs> <laughs> I've just been sitting here biting my tongue. Um, That's all right. This is all about an exchange. Yes, well, no, no. exactly. Um, I actually do have an MDE dipper bus that I have like my sync, my effects, my Atmos um, and my music going to. And that's what I use to dip around my voiceover because I've just found in every post house that I've worked in so far, that has been for anybody who has worked in a post house, you know that generally you have a template that every engineer has to follow or at least kind of follow. And that's been the way most of them have done it. So that's kind of just what I've inherited and I've stuck with it. And it's simple and it's quick and it gets me through a mix. Yeah, I mean, most of my work is radio, so I don't kind of get into this can of worms. But on the occasions that I've done uh, TV Factual, uh, which has largely been low-budget, uh, self-shot, self-edited type work, I've used the, the you know the Dipper um, channel to uh, so that I make sure that my stems are undipped but i do i was listening to you with great interest uh alan in terms of using the pre-fade sends because yeah I, I that sort of gelled as a as a very easy way of getting the necessary undipped stems out to a, effectively a record track of one description or another whether you're whether you're taking it to a master fader and then just doing bounce to disc or or whether you actually go to record track i'm still of a mind uh, to use record tracks but that's historic because uh, back in the day uh, Pro Tools I was mixing radio dramas and radio documentaries that were an hour long and at 57 minutes 30 seconds or whatever the computer would fall over on the real time bounce <laughs> and we'd have to do uh, it all over again and actually oh, yeah. I found that sessions would would actually work by recording the mix back to a to a record track um that the same session would work very reliably but and i've just that's just stuck into my workflow of using record tracks i mean on the short form um i print real time to tracks yeah um after having sent uh review waves to the client as offline bounces mm-hmm. uh that's generally only for my last qc pass um, you know, and to double check yeah. the the loudness on it, which is far more critical on a thirty second spot or a sixty second oh, spot yeah. than uh, than on a half hour mm. or TV hour documentary. But uh, certainly, um, I also know from experience of working with other other facilities, Emma, that uh, they just don't build in the time anymore to do a real time playout. So you really do have to do offline bounces on everything. Um, and that's where things like VizLM or Signum Butte really come into their own because, um, you know, you don't have to go back and play it all out again to get the a, a valid loudness reading on it. Yeah. Um, but that's also why, I mean, the interesting thing is, is that uh, having gone into other facilities who have their own templates that have been set up, um, the more open-minded ones, as long as you don't 
exceed the capabilities of their host systems because an awful lot of um, facilities, in, certainly in Soho, uh, are sort of somewhat stuck in HGX1 land, which now, of course, Pro Tools native exceeds the capabilities of. Yes. Um, so uh, th that's the only restriction I've had. And um, the way I've gone about um, convincing them to accept my workflow is that um, I, I always go by the what I call the KISS principle. <laughs> which uh, stands for keep it simple, stupid, um, which basically means that, yeah, rather than having lots of cascading uh, groups or doubling up on, uh, uh, um, you know, you see you've got your MDE stem uh, or dipper, as it were, Emma, rather, and I suppose the, the, other, the other way that I've seen doing that is to duplicate that but have it not go into the monitoring, just to the print tracks, mm. so that um, you are you, you you leave that one at Unity, and then for the final mix, you have the output of the dipped the dipper. Um, where that falls down, though, is is monitoring flexibility. So, using my workflow, you can then also pick up those um, those buses which have been dynamically controlled with the master faders, um, you can pick them up and send them to any monitoring non-destructively. So you can flick between your undipped m &E, your final mix, you can flick between any of your stems at will without affecting what you're printing, um, which means you can easily you check that, you are, that your undipped stems are actually undipped. Um, so yeah, that's, that always helps because you can then go through the session and spot check before you then do your offline bounce, uh, with more confidence that what you're delivering, um, is correct. Uh, because I mean, there's enough problems the, the amount of del the types of deliverables we now have to deliver, uh, especially with 5.1. Uh, the variations between various different uh, deliverables are just, it gets ridiculous. I mean, uh, and I'm quite often delivering 16-track uh, AAFs directly to the online. Uh, they don't even listen to it. They just bring in the AAF and export the master file and then send it off to QC at the, at the distributor. So, yeah, you have to make sure that absolutely everything is absolutely right because nobody's going to check it before it goes too far down the line. Um, so that's, that's why I found that, that, that principle there. And I found that, um, the DSP or, or native processing load with the pre fade sends is, um, uh, it doesn't seem to have so much drain on the DSP or, 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 or native processing. So, uh, you know, rather than having cascading, um, buses, and there certainly isn't aren't the latency issues either. No, and the, you don't need to worry about blue mode, I suppose, as well, because I mean that's the other thing with cascading cascading tracks is you 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 can end up with with some of your stems out out of sync because the delay of the delay compensation pulling it the wrong way. The, exactly, and and there's funny because it's uh, you know I haven't done uh, a real time playout on anything long form, I think for about four years now, because the series before last of Doc Martin was still, we still have to do tape playbacks um, uh, because, of, because of the technology being used. But um, yeah, I mean, I, I certainly on factual, haven't done a, 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 a real-time play out for years and years and mm. years. Um, so, and I always uh, find it, interesting when i see people who are still doing that and uh also still doing that analyzing the loudness going back and fixing it analyzing it again <laughs> and all this sort of stuff and um it just seems to me to be a very very long-winded um way of doing it and they must be charging by the hour because nobody <laughs> i know uh, nobody on a, on a buyout is doing that way yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> No, indeed. I mean, that's why I, you know I use record track still, and it means that when I do a patch, so if if you know if I get a mens and notes back, 
I can just literally drop it on the record track and VizLM will recalculate the integrated loudness for the whole piece, taking into consideration any changes that happen just in that sort of 10, 15 second, one minute drop in. Uh, it's funny, and- yeah, because I mean, uh, one of the things I've noticed um, without naming names, there's a, there's a, there's a series going out at the moment where... Um, I'm well for a start I'm finding that I'm having to have the volume up 10 dBs louder than anything else and secondly I'm having to ride up the volume myself every time the voiceover comes in yeah uh which is why I'm really don't like um crap what I call crash dips mm. uh everything coming down at the same amount underneath the voiceover and coming back up again because if you know the only way you're going to be able to come back at unity level with your production dialogue say is if you really come up very fast after the end of the voiceover line. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you have separate DME faders, um, you can bring the music up more gradually, but be at unity level with the, uh, our subject said, Pro Tools is the best DAW in the world. Yeah. And it's all, than, that's all very comfortable and it's all, yeah, you know, yeah. It's all very easy to get to and you can easily, you know, if you're not, comfortable balancing three faders at a time then you can always go back and pick up the yeah. <laughs> the other thing on the other faders as, as you want so um it's sort of it does it does expand it from one fader to three hmm. but i think the flexibility no, but, but, but on that the, is far yeah, the, more uh, the junctions are a lot you can make the junctions a lot more smooth yeah as you say you are yeah. dealing with crash dips I'm not saying that uh, your uh, technique camera is, is wrong at all. It's oh, just no, I'm totally technique. offended, Alan. I've just <laughs> oh, taken yeah. it totally <laughs> personally now. No, I, I, I do get, I, I totally get what you're talking about and I, I do see your logic in it. The only thing that I would, the only thing that would stop me from doing that is time. Because from what you're saying, personally, maybe this will not be for everybody, but to get used to that method is going to take some getting, like it's going to take a bit of time and it's going to take a bit of floundering around. And I mean, I, I, I've come to that because of my history in mixing. So I've always, uh, I, I, I've come up through linear mixing and, um, and uh, physical consoles. So uh, the pre-fade aux end was how I developed working from, um, using DFCs or even non-automated consoles, because what you used to do... Oh, God, don't mention the DFC. I have nightmares about that desk. (laughs) (laughs) I hate that thing. Just not thinking out of the box. Anyway, um, (laughs) the... Uh, that's because I was involved with the automation development, but that won't, won't go there, am I? (laughs) (laughs) Please don't. (laughs) (laughs) The, um, yeah, I mean, uh, I mean, the traditionally you used to get, um all your uh, tracks in on film, uh, mag, and used to do a sync audio premix and then used to add a um, uh, an effects uh, premix pass and then balance that with the music up against the voiceover. So uh, it was all done completely linearly. Um, quite often... If you were out to make money, then you would print the DME to a six-track mag machine, um, whilst printing the the final mix to a stereo. Um, but uh, again, that was also in the days before um, they had all the requirements for deliverables. These days, I mean, you know, you very rarely had to do an international version that wasn't subtitled. So. Um, yeah, people have uh, given up on reading these days. It seems. <laughs> now, you you alluded to to it earlier, Alan, but um, immersive audio and Atmos um, that seems. I mean, you can't dip the objects. You know, it's like this seems well, you to can't be undip them. Well, all right, yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, yes, that makes my head hurt. It really does. Um, I think it's going to have to be a, a completely. You're going to have to path. go to effectively to film. The only way you can do it is with with is film technique. But of course, that comes at a price because of the time it takes to do fully filled. Oh, it's absolutely completely. Um, yeah, and and also creatively, a fully filled effects track doesn't always sit well with the director or the creative crew. Mm. 
they don't always want there to be Foley running all the way through. And this is why in, in scripted slash drama, um, the M&D and the international effects or fully filled effects stems always has to be a separate pass. There's no automatic way of doing it uh, because during the final mix, you may drop some Foley, you may drop some effects that mm. are on the production audio track, which have then to be replaced yep. in the M&E. Uh, so it is a separate pass that has to be malted on its own. But um, even though you can assign objects and beds to be any part of the mix you want, so you can say these beds and these objects are dialogues, these beds and these objects are music and effects or what have you, or foley, um, there's no way to put them undipped into the renderer. Mm. So it, that means that every single version of it afterwards has to be, um, well, done completely manually yeah. <laughs> in real time, uh, which um, I, I don't think, I, I, I'm, yeah, I, I'm having trouble considering that the distributors have have really thought about this. Um, and certainly if you're, if you're doing things other than, say, natural history or the really big science docs, then Atmos... I mean, really? <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, Why? Um, yes, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're doing a, a reasonably fast top turnaround topical political documentary, then or current affairs documentary, then Atmos really, I, I, I don't really see. Uh, you could even make an argument that five one is probably uh, a stretch with those sorts of. Uh, that sort of content because you if you're going to be de delivering five one there's a fair chance that pretty well everything's going to be up mixed because there aren't there isn't the the source material in five one well i mean i've done some uh natural history in 5.1 and uh where the difference with the deliverables with that is is that quite often some of the distributors insist on there being nothing in the center channel other than l production sound and narration mm. Which me or production dialogue, sorry, yes. and narration. Um, any production effects have to go to the left, right. Mm. Any foley has to go to the left, right. Uh, which is great if you're in the sweet spot. If you're sat even slightly out the sweet spot, it's gonna. It sounds very, very odd. However, when it's then folded down to stereo, it all sounds fine because you've got the phantom center. Mm. Um, but what that does mean is that any distributor doesn't even have to go to an M and E to redo an international version. They no, just they, take out the centre channel and replace it. And replace it. it, yeah. Yeah. So... Yes. No, and I've seen um, that. I've seen that. Uh, uh, people doing exactly that abroad is just taking the centre channel out and being able to replace it. And hey, presto. I mean, that used to be the, the default way of delivering um, uh, scripted as well on feature films. You would not put anything other than dialogue through the centre channel. Hmm. Uh, so you just deliver a four-track LCRS mag reel and they just take out the center and replace it. So, um, which are, again, yeah, when you you notice this on some of the movies that have been remastered up to 5.1 in quotation marks, uh, because all the effects are coming out left and right and nothing <laughs> but the dialogue's coming out of the center, yeah. which is really annoying <laughs> from my point of view. But then again, I'm, I'm one of the... Still, there's a very low minority of people who have actually got 5.1 at home, let Indeed. alone Atmos. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I'm I'm hoping that with the Atmos soundbars and everything yeah. becoming so much more prevalent, that that is going to that is going to change somewhat because yes. they are certainly more um, installation friendly than having Indeed. six speakers in your lounge. Indeed. It certainly is. Now, let's move on to the second question from Jack, which he's talking about when mixing feature-length content, do you prefer to mix in supersized sessions, i.e. the whole feature-length content in one session? Or, he says, do you break things down into reels? And, you know, obviously film production is nearly always done in reels uh, because that comes back to the to the film. Um because uh, you couldn't, you know, a film reel was what ten ten minutes. Originally, it was ten minutes, and yeah. then it went up to just 20. under twenty. Yeah, just, just over twenty. Sorry. Yeah, that's why I was slightly because I always I've got both ten and twenty in my head. 
so so effectively you know you would have you you do a, a film in in chunks um so the reason he asked is his last super session uh was an 18 minute uh doc a feature doc and uh he got a corrupted session um so that caused him all sorts of grief so he started just playing safe and not having all eggs in one basket and went back to mixing uh feature length content in reels you know in shorter chunks so his question is do you trust your system enough to mix a full feature length project in one session was my corrupted session a fluke or has this happened to you uh emma what do you do for long-form content uh are you do you do one session yeah, if it's a feature doc, I'd never do it and I'd never break it up into chunks. I'd always do a supersized session. Um, if it's going to be a feature film, then maybe, well, uh, if it was, I should correct this. If it's a low budget feature film, I tend to just have a super session as well. If it's something a bit more substantial, then it's broken into reels. Um, and and presumably, you would you say that, uh, that Jack's sort of, Corrupted session was a was a one off, well not a one off, but an unusual occurrence. Presumably. Well, actually, what had me curious was that in in his question that he posted to us, he said he got audible pops and clicks throughout, which changed in location every single time he exported. And um, what I'm wondering is whether that was actually an automation issue, um, or, because I or clocking, because that's the other yeah. thing you you never get the clicks and the pops in the same place twice. Exactly. Um, and I think, unfortunately, he maybe just did possibly have a fluke with this one because mm. I've never experienced that in supersized sessions. I'm usually absolutely fine. And um, the only thing I, I have to worry about sometimes is if I'm bringing a session from home into a different studio and the hardware capabilities are different and it struggles to run the session. But generally, I don't have any issues. So are you saying that something you bring from home depending on the hardware in the studio you're going into it may struggle or it's the other way up when you can bring it back home you've got issues uh both um, and right. there is one studio that i go into that actually my little system at home is a little bit more powerful um and i find that when yeah, i go into be modest the, <laughs> no I, i'm gonna be nice um <laughs> and thankfully they are upgrading the studio so i think that's going to be the other way around soon enough mm. um but i do find that their system really does struggle with my with my session template and if i have too many plugins going on i mean it, it just has a little bit of a crash every now and again and i have to make sure that i'm really saving as yeah. i go yes because that's the other issue is is routine saving uh, because unless you actually end up with a corrupted audio file then you can just roll back through the session file backups until you get back to a point where whatever it was that got corrupted isn't corrupted anymore as i say the only time that doesn't always work is if it's an actual audio file that's a key audio file in the project gets corrupted then of course doesn't matter how far back you roll because it's the actual audio file that's got corrupted and then pro tools takes a dim view of trying to play across that uh corrupted audio file but yeah normally it's you say you just roll back a bit and hey presto i find that good project management um, can really protect you against that. So um, <clears throat> one of the facilities I do a lot of work for, their head of audio, um, rather than when he imports source tracks into um, his main session, his mix session, he actually does this very manually. He goes and copies the contents of the source audio folder into his work audio folder and then just imports the audio and relinks to the um, just imports the session file and relinks to the audio that he's copied manually into his audio files folder. Yeah. And I've found nothing but problems like that by doing that. Um, you may not trust Pro Tools to properly manage your audio, but it's a hell of a lot better than you trusting Finder or uh, Windows Explorer, mm. um, especially with their uh, tendency to drop um, suffixes or uh, things like that. 
Um, I, well, I, and also he, um, I have two sets of folders. I have my main session, my main mix session, and then I have what I call my received folder. So every single session, every single piece of audio that's come into my mix session is in two places. So the original file that came into my facility or the facility I'm working at is in the received folder. So it sits there and it's untouched and it's pristine. So that that, if it gets... so If, if you get, get an audio gets, file corruption, then you've, you've just here's go one back I got earlier. <laughs> exactly. That's the original I received before it got corrupted. Yeah. Uh, secondly, I, I will only ever work off SSDs. Um, spinning, spinning rust is so last century, it's untrue. Um, and the biggest problems I've had have been when um, the facilities are using some form of network storage. Hmm. Uh, because they are very vulnerable to network interruptions, even if they're on a specific network like that. Um, and that's another recipe for disaster for um, for corrupted audio. Corrupted sessions as well. Um, I mean, I set my um, session back up to keep the last 999 copies every one minute. And but if you're working off SSDs, then that's fine. It doesn't delay your Pro Tools at all, even on a super session. Um, the biggest issue that I get with working in reels is that quite often the movie has been cut not in reels. It's been cut in one chunk. Um, and they decide where the reel changes are going to be afterwards. <laughs> so, um, And even then, even if they've done it in reels, the reel change point can quite often change. Yeah. Um, because we don't have the physical limitation of the length of, of film reels or size of film reels anymore, mm. but we do still have a limitation on the file size. So when you're making a 4K DCP in 7.1, um, a 90-minute uh, feature will completely nuke any file size capabilities there are on the planet. So it has to be split into reels. Um, now, if you have a separate session per reel, the problem with that is that you can't manage the transitions or shifting reel change points. Um, and this is the thing, because even because in, in the old film land, <clears throat> the first 28 frames of an incoming reel, the audio for that was on the end of the outgoing reel. So that's why you had of to. Of course, have, yes, because you, you the, because, because the sound the, head was twenty eight frames, frames away from yeah, the yes, film gate. Yes. So, because it wasn't possible to have the sound head at the same point, place as the film gate. No, of course not. On the projector, so yeah. you had to have the first twenty eight frames of the incoming reel on the end of the outgoing reel. Yeah. So that generally involved um, tedious copying over and punching in and, and what have you of the overlaps after you'd done the final mix. And then when we moved to mastering digitally, that involved a file copy, uh, which was fraught with um, dangers. I mean, a couple of times we've been at a cast and crew screening or a first playback of the mastered print and the... Film has had the wrong incoming reels on the end of the outgoing reels. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, and that just you know you end up having to leave <clears throat> the theatre in disgrace. <laughs> so, yeah. So again, uh, I mean, all of that, all of these. Com I mean, obviously, the the film complications are much less of an issue. But but what what appears still to be an issue is it's much easier to be able to change the changeover point. Uh, whether it's because of DCP uh, file lengths or or whatever, to be able to work in a super session makes it so much easier to to change the changeover point for whatever reason is necessary. So again, even perhaps you, as you are already Emma mixing feature uh, content in a super session. Um, rather than breaking it up into real sessions, um, sessions per reel, that to me would make a lot of sense to actually mix pretty well any uh, feature in a super session because it's so much easier to handle the changeovers. 
Well, and at the end of the day, it all gets cut together yeah. at the very end. So why not just start that way and make mm. life easier for yourself? I wonder, and certainly also the um, the amount of times that uh, because it hasn't been done in reels, uh, composers have had music going over the real change as yes. well. Um, that 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 happens an awful lot, and if and also sometimes if you are posting it in reels, but all in the same session, uh, some composers misinterpret the real change as uh, a part break, so they think they can have music tailing over the. <laughs> <laughs> over the over the real change, which again yeah. is, is a big no no. Yeah. I mean, certainly when you're when you're running DCPs, which are file based, um, they can accommodate the real change far more seamlessly, but they still do need the overlap because they can't actually do an absolutely frame sample accurate crossover. Right. Um, there's still the the chance of either a crossfade or a um, or uh, an overlap or delay on the on on the change over there. So you can you can still get um, issues uh, when you had to deliver in reels as well. So it's always best to cover all your bases and and cover your posterior wherever you can. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we will need to move along. Uh, so um, throughout December, we're offering the opportunity for over 30 people to win a prize of your choice from an amazing bundle of prizes that we've pulled together from our generous partners, worth in total over £30,000 sterling. So each day throughout this month, December, we'll have an article taking a closer look at each one of these prizes in turn. So if you're not sure about some of the prizes, then do watch out for a detailed product profile article on each of the prizes on offer in our Christmas 2019 prize draw competition. So take a look at the prizes that are on offer. You'll find it on our win page. Then enter the competition, and as part of that entry process, you will need to tell us which prize you would like to win. And then in the new year, we'll announce all the winners of the prizes, probably in about mid-January, by, by giving us enough time post-holiday uh, season to have contacted all the winners. So check that out. Uh, there's lots of great prizes in there for both music and post people alike. The Pro Tools Expert Podcast is created using Source Connect Now from Source Elements. Register now for your free account at now.source-elements.com. If you've ever tried to do interviews over the internet with apps like Skype, you'll know how hit and miss the audio quality and connection can be, and even on a good day it isn't really good enough for a long-form interview. We now use Source Connect Now, which offers ISDN equivalent quality audio using a Chrome browser with no software to install. To get your free account, follow the link in the podcast notes. Great. Okay, so let's move on to Find of the Week, and these are sponsored by our friends at RSPE Audio Solutions. RSPE Audio carries nearly every great microphone you can think of, from budget to boutique. They have microphones from Sennheiser, Newman, Earthworks, Shure, Loughton, Peluso, AKG, Blue, Townsend Labs, Antelope, and many more. Not sure what mic you need? RSPE's team can help. Just tell them what work you do, and they can recommend a few mics, Plus, if you're in L.A., you can book a demo so you can try them out before you buy. Shop online or contact their team to find the right mic for you. Great. OK, so find of the week. Uh, Alan, what's yours? Well, um, by the time this is going live, um, we will also have another live launch, which is uh, the Avid S1. You run. The tri-platform Avid Control app which I currently have running right in front of me, um, both on uh, Amazon Fire HD 10, uh, Huawei Media Pad 10, and uh, an iPad Air 2. So, um, yeah, and uh, it works exactly the same across all the platforms, except that the uh, Fire HD and the Huawei are less than half the price of the iPad. Yeah, I mean, so, yeah, I mean, the uh, Fire... Yeah. The fire uh amazon fires are really very cost effective 
Oh, and, absolutely. And it's yeah, great it's... to see that, that not only is it Android, but also it works on the, the Amazon Fire as well, because that makes... Because, you know, we've seen some of the comments about the S1. Oh, I've got to buy an iPod as well. Well, you, you have to buy no, a tablet. <laughs> But it can well, be a very cost-effective. Because, I mean, what's the Amazon Fire? What's the HC10 now? It's, it's... I've just picked up one this weekend for 90 quid. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it makes it makes an S1 a very, very cost-effective uh, control surface now. And, and, oh, absolutely, I mean, you, yeah. you've seen it in the... Obviously, you've seen it in the flesh quite a bit, but certainly from what I've seen at trade shows and the like, the... The quality of like the metering and the whole sort of fluidity of the display just seems to be so much better. Well, I mean, um, you'll be able to see for yourself because we've got a, a world exclusive review coming up as well. So um, keep your eyes open for that, and uh, we'll show you just how gorgeous this new product of of Avid's looks. I have to say, definitely, it's one right. to look out for. Good. Emma, what's your find of the week? Oh, I'm very excited about this one. It's like my new toy. Um, it's a DPA DMM003-B, most ridiculously long name possible, uh, Magnetic Lav Mic Holder. Um, so for anybody who does ADR, I really struggle, even in a controlled environment, to get a really clean sounding lav mic. Um because most of the time you either have actors who come in with really scratchy material jumpers or actresses who come in with really low cut tops. And actually the male actors do this too. And it's really difficult to try and pin the mic anywhere cleanly around them. Um, so this magnetic lav mic holder, basically you just get your DPA mic, it sits right in and they wear it as a necklace around their neck. Um, you put one of the little uh, right coat stickies on the back of it and hopefully if they have enough clothing on, um, stick that onto their clothes. And the results I've gotten so far from using this has just been incredible. Like I don't get any scratch or rustle. And I work, I do a lot of ADR for mixers who will not mix using the boom mic. They will only mix using the lav. So you have to get the signal really clean. And this has just been an absolute lifesaver. So it's completely my find of the week. I mean, I have to say, I took one look at that and I thought that is utter genius. I mean, it's the sort of thing that only DPA could come up with. And I, uh, like you, um, I mean, I've been in the situation where um, where uh, it's not actually been my choice to not use the booms. It's been the director saying, I know we shot it in a Shoreditch loft conversion, but does it really have to sound that reverberant? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Um, So, yeah, I mean, then that's the... um, that 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 it is such a genius little piece of kit, and I can I can imagine that it just makes um, lav ADR recorders mm. eight recordings so much more viable. That's brilliant. Yeah. I will say the only downside that I found to it um, is that a lot of the time you do get requested for the Sankin Cos Eleven mic, which will not fit into it. Um, so what I've had to do, which is so unprofessional, is actually get sellotape. <laughs> And uh, tape my Sankin Cos 11 into the <laughs> yeah. magnetic mic holder. You're not a proper sound engineer until you've gaffer taped something to yeah. another. <laughs> I mean, listen, it's not even gaffer tape. It's just proper like sellotape you pack a parcel with. But it works, so I don't care. And <clears throat> I get a good sound, so yeah. I'm well, happy. Yeah, the other choice is to is to sellotape it straight to the actor's chest. And yeah. I don't think they would agree to that. <laughs> yeah, I think hashtag me, me too might come out if I yes. try to do that. <laughs> so, Mike, what's your uh, find of the week? Well, I have to say it's the Pro Tools 2019.10 release. Uh, and largely because of the new workflow with the Dolby Audio Bridge, enabling us effectively, if you have the Dolby production suite, to be able to do Dolby Atmos uh, mixes and productions without, uh, you know, and the reality is that even Netflix are saying now there isn't the need to go to a hardware, um, you know, the mastering suite or even a hardware RMU that for uh, most productions, 
you know, the, and a lot of the constraints, because one of the problems is we could use production toolkit, but sorry, the production, there's a Freudian slip from back in the day, um, mm. but using the um, Dolby Atmos production suite, you could do it, but one of the challenges was that the the because of the delay compensation, the um, objects and the bed mixes wouldn't necessarily be in sync. Well, of course, with this workflow, all that now goes away. The only downside is if you're using an HDX rig, you can no longer use DSP plugins. But as more and more people are using, as we've already talked about today, uh, native-based uh, post-production suites, um, it's less of an issue, but it just opens up the opportunity of working in Atmos uh, with a very cost-effective entry point. So, yeah, that's that's my find of the week. It was funny, actually, because... Um I was last week. I was at a studio which had uh, HDX2, mm-hmm. and uh, we were trying to set up a, an Atmos mix for uh, a concert. And we were deciding that we might try and fly the vocals around on objects and what have you like that. Yeah. And uh, yeah, as soon as we um, put the vocals into objects, uh, using the old uh, Send Return plugins, yeah, they were out of sync. Yep. And also because it was a live concert, we were yeah you know, there, there was obviously spill from yes. the rest of the band on the mics, and it just sounded appalling. Yeah. Um, and so being able to skip having to have, um, I mean, the big issue is that with the send return plugins, you have to have an aux uh, path to put that send return plug in for every object that you have. Mm. And so, of course, on, it, we, well, more so with native versus, with, with native and HDX combo, you get this round trip latency issue, uh, which is because, well, what Pro Tools has never been able to do is properly juggle um, the timing differences between native and HDX. Yeah. Um, so when you take the, all of that out of the equation and just use the HDX as your output device, then you're absolutely onto a winner. You just bypass that whole nonsense. Indeed. But you do need a much more powerful host PC, I will say. Yes, indeed. And on that, uh, it's time to uh, pull up Stump. So it's good night from me. Good night from me. And it's good night from me. Good night.